For those of you that um, are regular here at the FBC family, uh, or you get to uh, tune in to us uh, by whatever means, uh, even if you're far away, again, we welcome you this morning. And uh, if you do know, and if you're here regularly um, in this place, you know that I'm in the middle of uh, basically one-third of the way through uh, the book of Mark, uh, the gospel according to Mark uh, that tells us the life of Jesus and, of course, includes his life, death, and resurrection. Uh, and uh, we'll be getting to that. We're going to get Easter twice this year. Uh, that's what's really cool this year. We'll get it now and, uh, and then uh, and f- further on in the book, book of Mark when we get there. Uh, and we're right now in chapter uh, 8. Uh, but this morning, I am going to break away from that uh, series, uh, consecutive expository series, uh, and focus on uh, a resurrection passage, this time from the Gospel of Matthew. And our scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 27, chapter 27, verses 62 through 28, 6. And the title of this morning's message is Inevitable. Hear the word of the Lord. The next day, that is the day after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, You have your guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will always remain. Let's ask his blessing upon it now. Let us pray. Oh, Father, what a morning it was. 
when, Lord, the angel rolled back the stone. Not to let Jesus out, but to let his friends in. Father, thank you for that you have raised your son according to your promise from the dead and made him the first fruits of those who will follow in his footsteps. Father, everything has changed now because of that which was inevitable. Help us understand that more clearly today with the help of your Holy Spirit and your word that we have read. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In a 1789 letter to his French colleague, Benjamin Franklin made one of his famous statements. It goes like this. Our new constitution is now established and has an appearance that promises permanency. And then Franklin said to his friend, but... In this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. Now, no doubt many of you have heard that expression. Nothing's more certain or more inevitable sometimes said than death and taxes. These two things, according to Franklin, were inevitable. Certain to happen. Unavoidable. Those are the definitions of inevitable. Now keep that in mind. Now in our scripture reading, verse 65, the second part. Did you pick up those words that Pilate told the Jewish leaders? Go. Basically, you got what you want. Go and make it as sure as. As you can. Make it as sure as you can. But how secure is that? How secure was that? It's almost like Pilate, you can almost hear it dripping from his voice. Pilate had already been greatly disturbed by this man, Jesus. His wife had told him, have nothing to do with him. Pilate somehow, I think, instinctively knew that it was all going in the wrong direction very quickly. That somehow he had been a part of something diabolical and awful. And he did not know what the consequences were, but he feared. A cold chill also likely ran up and down the spines of those who heard what Pilate said. And those weak words make it as secure as you can. And God knows those Pharisees and religious leaders and chief priests had good reason to be afraid, very, very afraid. They had two things that were driving their fears. The text gives us one of them. The other I'll explain also. The first fear was that, according to them, Jesus might the disciples of Jesus might end up stealing 
the body of Jesus and then run around telling everybody that he was risen from the dead. Now, what is that? What kind of fear is that? That's the fear on the part of the religious leaders of a hoax. They feared a religious hoax. (laughs) At least that's what they're saying. Now, do you think that was really the case? No, not at all. These folks knew. They, the disciples had scattered from, to the hills. They had run like scared rabbits. The only one that was hanging around on the fringes was Peter and John. And Peter ended up lying, trying to cover and protect himself because they were all scared to death. They were terrified that what happened to Jesus, their Lord, was going to happen to them. So you're going to tell me that all of a sudden, out of in the middle of all of this, that all muster their courage and come running in and overpower an armed guard of soldiers to steal the body of Jesus? It's got to be the lamest, weakest attempt to try to explain away the resurrection that I've ever heard. Other attempts, but that one's probably the most absurd and pathetic. But beneath that obvious fear that is spoken here, that's what they said they were concerned about and fearful of to Pilate. But beneath that spoken fear was another fear. Unspoken, but all the more terrifying. The fear was in their hearts that the one that they had crucified might indeed really come back alive as he had promised he would. And they heard him multiple times say that he would. They feared that somehow what what would be the case if that mutilated man might rise up out of the grave in surprising power and do exactly as he said he would do. What if that happened? You see, they knew the miracles. In many ways, these religious leaders were far less dense than the disciples. They knew that Jesus had done mighty and powerful miracles. They had either heard or they had seen it firsthand on multiple occasions. They knew that he had raised Lazarus from the dead. They weren't taking that as a, and treating like that was a fable or a story. They knew they were there watching and spying. What if the man that can raise people for the dead came back from the dead just as he said? You see, they had reason to fear because his rising, my friends, was, as the title says, inevitable. There's no way at this point to keep it from happening. And I think the Pharisees somehow down deep in their cold hearts knew it. They feared it. That that something had been unleashed that could not stop, be stopped. And it would change everything forever. And that was very, very frightening to them. You see, theologically, the resurrection had to happen. It was inevitable. It was required. Why? 
Because when God tore the temple curtain from top to bottom, it was a way of signifying that the sacrifice of Christ had been received and accepted. And that sins that he took to the cross for his, of his people were forgiven. And that was the sign, the veil that held between God and man was torn apart, opening a new and living way through Jesus Christ, through his resurrection from the dead. It was theologically imperative and absolutely necessary. It was inevitable. You see, Satan's only real chance all along was ever what? One of two things. Get Jesus to take a shortcut, bail out, go follow him in the wilderness temptation and other places, or turn back, somehow give up the ghost, say, Father, this is too much, I can't stand it, I'm out. That That was his only hope. Either get Jesus to bail out or to try to take a shortcut. The temptation was the shortcut. Gethsemane and the suffering of Jesus, that was what Satan was trying to get him to bail out, to turn back. But once he finished the course, the father split the curtain to show the world that his son had done it, had accomplished it. It was finished and it was secure for his people. The forgiveness of sins. You see, a strange power was unleashed because of those fateful events. Beneath the ebb and flow of life, there is what C.S. Lewis called a deeper magic. Many of you that have read the Chronicles of Narnia and those books uh, know about that deeper magic. It's in the first book. A deeper and more powerful force, as Aslan explains to Susan and Lucy, the deeper magic. Here's what it says. Aslan speaking, or or Susan and asking, but what does it all mean? It means, said Aslan, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawn, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim, which is exactly what Aslan was, he laid down his life as a willing victim, as a substitute. When a willing victim had committed no treachery, was killed in the traitor's stead, the table, Lewis's imagery in the book for the cross, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. The table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. Everything. You're talking about game changer. That was the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. You see, the Pharisees did not realize how true their words were when they said, look, the whole world has gone after him. That week, 
They were looking at Jesus' popularity and they said, look, the whole world has gone after him. They were not as they thought, though, dealing with a human being. They were dealing with the Son of God, the Messiah, the long-promised one of God who would come and secure and reign over his people. And he could not be stopped anymore. This irresistible force of the resurrection could not be stopped any more than the rising of floodwaters can be stopped with a bunch of sandbags. <laughs> you ever seen people trying to do that? Trying to shore up a, a, a flood that's coming on the Mississippi and they're trying to pile up sandbags? If it's a real flood, nothing's going to stop it. I love what John records in his account in John chapter 20 verse 9. Talking about the disciples, how they did not yet get it, but they were about to get it. He said, for as yet they, meaning the disciples, did not understand the scripture that he, listen to this word, must, must rise from the dead. My friends, must is a word of inevitability. They didn't get it, but they would. That it was not just something that happened, it was essential, it had to happen, it must. It was inevitable because of who God is and because of who Christ is. The terms had been met, the sacrifice had been given. The sins had been imputed to Jesus and now they had been paid for and God showed the world that he accepted the work of Jesus for sinners by raising him from the dead. You see, it's Easter time and Easter means a lot of things to a lot of people and has a lot of sentiments. A lot of people like to think about in this time of the year and, and with the coming of spring and everything in the Easter season, they like to think about the rebirth of nature and the growth of trees and the transformation of plants and grass and blooming flowers and such. And many people like to interpret the Gospels and their accounts about the resurrection as sort of a symbol or an idea of making all things uh, fresh and new, getting a facelift. That's kind of what resurrection is really all about. Easter is really all about that. At least many people seem to think. In that case, the message is really something like this. Their version and idea of Easter is really saying basically, you know, after all, the world's not too bad. It's not that messed up. It's really, really basically okay. And after kind of going through a dark season, things are going to get better. You know, it's going to, it's going to get better. One must hope and not lose courage because good things are going to follow. Are you kidding me? What sentimental drivel! What nonsense! That's not what Easter is about. It's not about an idea. It is about a man that walked out of the grave three days dead, never to die again. And live forever and make intercession for his children, for his people. You see, do you really think that Jesus came from, 
to this earth and he went through what he went through and said what he said and did what he did and died the death that he died and rose again merely to be a symbol of a truth which is really no truth at all. Because eventually everything's going to be all right anyway. (laughs) Man, we need something stronger than that. Brothers and sisters, we need something stronger than that. If that's the best the world can do, and it really is. There's no hope beyond this world. That's all they can do is hope to avoid it, hope to stay the execution. But if this is true, if the inevitable has come, then everything is different. You see, the resurrection narratives are not pictures of survival of death. That's what a lot of people think. Survive death. No! They're records that show that a totally new mode of being has arisen in the universe. A prototype of a new human being in which the world had never seen, but of which God has promised and Jesus has promised there will be many more of his brothers and sisters following suit with him. Something new had appeared like never before. This man, after death, does not get divided into spirit and body. That's what happens to me and you. If I croak right now, my body is going to still be there, but my spirit is going to be separated. And elsewhere. But that didn't happen to Jesus. He rises again as the new paradigm of life everlasting that will never die. Remember what he said? I am the resurrection and the life and he who believes in me shall never die. And he's talking about spiritually. A resurrection to a life that is unending and everlasting. You see, this is the whole point of first fruits. Paul talks about that in Corinthians. Jesus is the first fruits. What does that mean? He's the prototype. He goes first, but he is just the beginning of a whole train that will inevitably follow him and be where he is. Remember, he promised that in John 14. I'm going to prepare a place where you may be also. That's the inevitability of the resurrection and what it accomplishes. Nicholas Walterstorff of Yale University lost a son in a climbing accident. It would be a tragic way to lose someone. And this is what he said in his grief, reflecting, musing, on that painful and awful reality. He said, when we have overcome absence with phone calls, willinglessness with airplanes, winglessness with airplanes, summer heat with air conditioning, when we've overcome all these and much more besides there will abide two things with which we must cope. He says, after we've done 
everything we can to try to get this out of sight, out of mind, go on, move on with life, all this stuff. He said, there's two things that are still going to be staring us in the face. We're still going to be forced to cope with two things. The evil of our own hearts and death. He was right. (laughs) Unless the inevitable happened. Unless a man 2,000 years ago got up and walked out of the grave that his enemies put him in. Never to die again. And to ascend to the Father and there prepare a place for those who trust in him. You see, Jesus dealt with both of those in his life, death, and resurrection. Do you realize that? He dealt a mortal blow to both of those two things that Wallstorff said never can be gotten out of sight, out of mind. Never can be dealt with. They're always going to be staring you in the face. Jesus took care of both. He died taking away the sins of his people, for those that put their trust in him, his, he took on them their sins and became the scapegoat that was slain outside the camp so that the guilty ones might go free. He dealt with that problem of the evil in our human hearts and then he dealt with death because he promised I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to the Father, and you're going to one day join me. You see, my friends, what do I believe happened that Sunday morning long ago? I believe the inevitable happened. The inevitable, or as Dolly Parton put it, he's alive, he's alive. Heaven's gates are open wide. For those who believe the inevitable and receive the incomparable Christ of the resurrection as their only hope in this life and in death and beyond. That's the hope of the resurrection. That's the hope of Easter, that the inevitable has come. And my friends, if you and I do, Believe that story, that truth, that message of the Gospels. If you and I, then there's something else that's inevitable. Something else is inevitable too. Your own resurrection, as I've already alluded to. It's not just Jesus' resurrection is inevitable, so is mine and yours if you are believers in Christ. And so we sing We say now what we sung earlier today. The last stanza of Jesus Christ is risen today. Soar we now where Christ has led. Following our exalted head. Made like him, like him we rise. Ours the cross, the grave, the skies. You see for a lot of people it's the cross, it's the grave. But they don't realize The skies are inevitable because of what Jesus did in his inevitable resurrection.
And he's promised that we will join him. We who believe. Let's give thanks to God for that. Father, oh, how grateful we are. Lord Jesus, for your mighty resurrection from the dead. Father, thank you that a whole new paradigm has come. A whole new understanding of what humanity will ultimately be in Christ. Father, but in, thank you this. It's not just that Jesus rose, but that he promised. He promised us. And Paul assured us later in other ways that we will follow him. It is inevitable for us too. Not only that he rise, but that we rise with him. But we're not yet there, Father. So fill us with the hope of that day and of that promise, no matter what comes our way. And we pray it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.